The Guardian. Hello and welcome to our fourth Guardian Ashes podcast, presented by a man who would have dropped Stuart Broad for the Durham Test, who's luckily surrounded by a panel who knows a lot more about cricket than him. We'll be talking more Australian batting failure, another ding-dong middle-order performance from you-know-who, and what Durham and the Oval might teach us about the winter to come. We'll also touch on the problem with Johnny and Joe, Buff getting serious, and finding a second spinner who hasn't weed on a bouncer. Don't worry, Neighbours fans, I said a bouncer. To do all that, I'm joined by MSN. Ashes reporter Lizzie Ammon, the traitorous yet excellent Rob Smythe, and also our Australian cricket journalist Jeff Lemon from The Raw and occasionally of The Guardian. But he is only occasionally of The Guardian because he hasn't uh, turned up yet. We are going to start without Jeff, afraid so far to show his face, but he assures us that he will be along soon. So for now, Rob and Lizzie, it's uh, just down to you guys. And uh, first of all, Rob, just reflect on what was a, a wonderful test match. Yeah, or kind of almost as good as Trent Bridge, really. Um, it's a strange series, isn't it? I don't, normally, Ashes series tend to follow a fairly straight narrative, but here you've had kind of three and one, two arse nippers, as Ashley Giles would call them, one Australia dominated draw and one absolute thrashing. But yeah, it was a great test. Yeah, and it was the swings and roundabouts nature of it, Lizzie, wasn't it? That was, you know, just to reflect on that, that was so extraordinary. Because there were times when the ultimate winners of the test match, England, weren't just on the back foot, but were seriously on the rack. For example, first innings and when David Warner was batting in the second innings. Absolutely. I mean, Australia were favourites a a couple of times in that test match, um, but it just kind of goes to show this England team find ways of winning. They just don't, they don't give up and uh, they're really hard to beat. An awful lot's been made of England's ability to seize the moment, to know the moment when they can win the Test match and almost as if that's the difference between the teams in terms of their performances in this series. I mean, would you go along with I that? don't think it is that. I think England is, with England it's patience and serenity and they just keep going and trust their plans and trust the way that they've decided they're going to do it. I mean, at Trentbridge, the lunch, it sounds flippant, but at Trentbridge, it was the lunch break that saved them, and here it was the tea break. And those two catering breaks, don't mm. underestimate the value of catering, allowed, yeah. them to, um, allowed them to refocus and just regroup, and then we know what happens. Nice, though, that the traditions of cricket, a bit like we spoke about, didn't we, the rain at Old yeah. Trafford. Uh, forget DRS, it was the old-fashioned <laughs> traditions that, that, that drew that test match, and tea and lunch Having have a, a massive influence too. Uh, forget DRS, but all of that. And Rob... Uh, I sort of tentatively put this forward, I think, in the second podcast, uh, quoting Kim Hughes from 81 when he said, if you'd swapped Ian Botham, um, we would have won the series, which was a valid point in 81. If you swapped Ian Bell, would Australia be ahead in the series, do you think? Is he that influential? They wouldn't be far away. He's been, he's been so far ahead of anyone else in the series. And still not man of the match? No, it's fascinating, isn't it? He's gonna, I, I meant to look that up. Has there ever been a man in the series who wasn't a man of the match? He should have got it at Lords. I think Anderson abroad actually were fair enough at Trebridge and... Durham, but he should have got ahead of root laws. But uh, yeah, he's um, it's almost hard to remember the last time an England batsman played so well in the series. I've, I've been quite sad. I went through all the uh, examples of people getting 500 runs for England in my kind of cricket watching life. There's Gower in 85, wasn't there, for example? Yeah, but the, the attack was nowhere near as good, was it? Uh, and when you factor in the beauty of the runs and the significance of the runs, I would say the only two that come close are Vaughan in Australia and. Uh, Strauss in South Africa at 0405. But I think this is probably the best, actually, I've ever seen an England batsman play over a whole series. Are you suggesting that David Gower didn't make beautiful runs in 85? Because if you are, you're out. (laughs) (laughs) It's me and Lizzie. (laughs) Of course he did. But the attack, I mean, come on. Jeff Thompson at the age of about 50. Um, Was it Bob Holland? I can't remember the spinner. It it wasn't a great attack. I'd put Bell above him. It's fascinating that he's now doing everything he was criticised for not doing. You know, there was this stat about him always 
making a hundred after someone else made a hundred. Well, now he's making he's like a mashup of the War Brothers, the beauty of Mark and the toughness of Steve. Mm-hmm. It's it's a great story that he's come to fulfilment. Actually, we always kind of waited for Bell to fulfil his talent, but actually, he's almost gone to an extra level in terms of the the mental strength he's exhibiting now. It's great. And yet, Lizzie, and yet this England team is still not playing. You feel anywhere near its potential and you also feel there are weaknesses there that maybe people didn't realise were there before the series it makes the winter interesting mm-hmm. and it would also make say England's relationship with South Africa interesting wouldn't it in terms of a, a top class batting lineup and a top class bowling attack England you sense would continue to struggle against them well they're good but they're not great Cook's had a quiet series Trot's had a quiet series both of those are fantastic batsmen. They just are having a lean spell. Yeah, but this there are issues, aren't there, about Root and Bairstow? There, there are. I mean, I think Root, um, That's well, the decision England have made is that Root is there for the long haul and they'll stick with him. And I think he'll come good. Bairstow's got a lot of convincing to do. Um, uh, uh, the interesting thing for me is Pryor, um, who's had a pretty bad series with bat and gloves. Um, but he doesn't suddenly become a bad player. It's just, it's just interesting that... Um, but that's quite important, isn't it, that we've, we've had a top three who haven't fired, a number six who's far from convincing, and a number seven who hasn't scored any well, runs and still won. I think this has happened for a while. I mean, in 2011, they were all getting runs, and they were getting 500 at will. But since then, in the big series, they've been reliant on one player reaching an insane standard. So Cook in India, Peterson in isolated innings, Gaul, Headingley, Mumbai. Um, Mumbai. And now Bell. It's kind of the, the back lineup isn't functioning. Now, if you look, they're way down on what they were doing two, three years ago. The hallmark of uh, of England in 10-11 and indeed against India in 2011 was big first innings totals with a couple of people at least contributing. I mean, since the aberration in the UAE, that hasn't really happened. Has I, I, no, it hasn't. I, I think UAE scarred them personally. Mm. I, I don't want to kind of overdo the stats because, you know, for obvious reasons, but England are scoring one run per over less than they were in 2011. That's 90 runs per day. That's a huge drop. So they, there is there has been a slight loss of conviction. And what was impressive about Monday, actually, was the way Breslin and Swan just went for it. Um, well, I know the lower order isn't you know the main example, but actually that did remind me of the way they used to bat when England were absolutely smashing teams. Uh, those Breslin runs were what broke Australia. I think that was, yeah. they were the difference between what they thought they could chase and yeah. actually secretly, I thought they... Not just the num- volume, but the manner of yeah, them yeah. as well. Yeah, and yet and yet. I mean... We've tried not to talk about DRS too much in this particular show because the cliche was to talk about DRS. However, the cliche on the television has seems to become, uh, in a jokey little voice, uh, oh, ho, ho, let's not talk about DRS. So I think that means that we can now talk about it because it's a cliche not to talk about it. And talking of Bresnan, before he made those runs, he was palpably LBW, it seemed, padding up. And, and yet, because it had been given not out, the decision stayed with the umpire. Once again in this test match, there's been a fundamental issue with the umpiring, Rob. And there's been a fundamental issue with DRS again, hasn't there? Has it with DRS? I, mean, I agree about the umpire, particularly Tony Hill. He's kind of, I, I do feel sorry for him. He's, he's really, really struggling. DRS, has there been? Well, I would, I would make a point, and it's not necessarily a popular one, and I was lambasted on Twitter for it, but <laughs> the two Australian LBWs in the, in the second innings just highlight something to me that I think it's worth raising, which is, are umpires giving decisions out that otherwise would have been benefit of the doubt? The two that were clipping the top of leg stump, uh, the second one, I think the Watson one was, was nicking the out, yeah. the Haddon one, sorry, yes, was right. nicking the outside of leg stump. Now, would they have been given out, say, in you know, 1992, for no, example? absolutely not. And is that not an issue? Well it, well, it is, but nobody complained when batsmen were given out on the front foot against spinners, which they weren't in 1992. I mean, it is an issue, and I get, well, I think one of the Australians, it might have been Haddon, said that DRS has taken the benefit of the doubt away. But against that, everything has been... Sc- skewed in favour of the batsmen for so long flat pitches bigger bats and so on um, 
burnout for bowlers. I don't, I don't have a problem with it being dragged back a little bit. Do you, so you think the payoff is that, in a way, the front for LBWs that spinners get now almost balance out the, the, the ones that are nicking the outside of leg stump? Well, also, I think if the ball hits the stump, the bail falls off and you're out. I mean, it's, if you're clipping, it's, cli- it's out. No, but I, there's a, there is a separate issue, isn't there, which is it's about being sure. And that's, the, that's in the laws of the game in the past. If an umpire's standing there and the ball is clipping the outside of the top, you know, the, the, the leg side bell, the umpire couldn't possibly be sure it was hitting, I mean, therefore I'm, I'm bowlers it's benefit of the I'm down. bowlers union through and through, so I don't really have a problem with I, it. I agree it's a slight concern, but I, I don't know. I don't have a problem with it. I just think it's a, a way of kind of balancing the game from everything that's been... In favour of the batsman. I know what you meant. Had one in particular was was ridiculous. I mean, you find, it, it was, it was interesting because the ball's been proven. If you trust the path on Hawkeye, which I personally don't, but that's a, a well, different that's issue. An issue. Yeah, that's an issue. Yeah, yeah, altogether, you're trusting a path that to me sometimes looks odd. But the ball's hitting the stumps, as you say, Lizzie, and you have Mike Atherton in commentary saying he thinks Haddon's unlucky. So that that shows a sort of yeah. a, an anomaly, doesn't it? At maybe. Least? I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I accept that. Maybe, maybe, maybe you say ten percent of the ball has to hit. I don't know. Um, it's, I mean, that's an issue. How much do you trust Hawkeye? I have no idea. Because if, if it isn't 100% reliable and, say, 1% of the ball's hitting, then, then you do have an issue. So, yeah, I can see the Haddon one. I mean, the Bresden one was strange because that just... But it looked plumb, Everything it? told you that was out. Um, and I'm not quite sure how it got to leg stump. Um, I know it was, it was, that was a height issue as well. Yeah, it's, it's a problem. But I still think, in all this, we should remember that more decisions are correct now than were two years ago. I think people are getting carried away with the, with the low quality of umpiring. I know Tony Hill had a bad game, but um, if you go to YouTube and look up decisions in the 80s, you know, Pakistan at home to England, Pakistan away to England, and various others, I think the standard is still overall higher than it's ever been. Oh, I agree, absolutely. I um, think we expect perfection because of DRS. Yeah, uh, there was a terrible Tony Hill the, moment, Lizzie, as well, oh, wasn't there? When, when Harris was prodding in the pavilion. When he, just, when he just stuck his finger up and there was no one left on the pitch, and it was just him. Yeah, it was... G- pointing to the ghost of Lumley Castle I mean, with his there, finger. Yeah, exactly. Uh, interestingly, uh, the, the, the haunted room in Lumley Castle is number 45 which, of course, is uh, where Shane Watson well, normally gets Shane out, which, is, um, which I quite liked. Um, there were two very emotional moments. Um, the one with Tony Hill, where you just felt this man was getting smaller and smaller, standing in the middle. But Chris Rogers, who we need oh. to talk about, we'll talk about with Jeff. Now, I know, Lizzie, that you got a bit emotional in Chris Rogers' press conference, didn't you? And, and I can understand why. And I think we all did watching him on telly as well. <laughs> I did. I welled up a bit and everyone laughed at me. Um, but um, it's just a triumph of determination and experience and I love the fact that actually it shows that first class cricket's really important and county cricket's really important because that's how you learn how to play on these pitches you don't get 20,000 first class runs if you're a buffoon and and when he said you know that he thought he'd blown his moment at Old Trafford and he thought he'd never get one and stuff you know that's a really lovely heartwarming story and actually we haven't had loads of them in this series but it was it was just lovely. You don't get 20,000 first-class runs if you're a buffoon, so the character's got something to do with the, the way you, you bat, has it? I, I give you Jeff Boycott. Anyway, um, <laughs> and, and that's a lot more than, uh, than 20,000. But uh, the, the beauty of Rogers is that he isn't beautiful. Yeah, and exactly. the beauty of him is that he has a stick ability to use that old Australian word, a nuggety quality about him as well, that whichever way I do it... I am going to do it, uh, a la Paul Collingwood, in a way, for England. It, it's, it ain't going to be pretty, but you, you're going to have to get me out. Well, the funny thing is, he looked set to get his main test century at Old Trafford when it was pretty. He played beautifully. He was booming drives. That kind of wouldn't have been an appropriate first test century. Mm-hmm. This was perfect. He was beaten about 50 times. Oh, he was. He had to hang in. You know, the DRS moments. It was just like, and the nervous 90s as well. 
it was a really charming story, and I, I love the celebration as well. Kind so of how understated. It was, yes. it was both. I thought it was partly it was mature, but also I kind of thought. Do you remember when it was Manafsa? I got his maiden test fifty and started wielding his bat. And I kind of it was almost like Rogers thought, well, if I get carried away, the gods are going to take this away from me. They're going to take it away from me. It was. It was just yeah. It was just a really nice human story. Yeah. I mean, well, he's not a big celebrator. He never does in first class cricket. No. But what he said was that he didn't want to be running around because he wanted to soak in the atmosphere. So he sort of stood still and soaked, which is just wonderful. I mean, yeah. Well, as Cole Porter said, you either have or haven't got style, and when you have, it sticks out <laughs> a mile. And some people have got it, and some people haven't. It was and one of the great anti celebrations, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, it was, was really, really. Lovely. It was a thing of beauty, and, and you know, bless Ian Ward with his uh, his portable screen that he wanders around with. But that was a nice moment too. You know, the the, the interviews have been really good actually, but that was a lovely moment because Rogers even then was was almost turning away from the screen when he, when he was watching himself in the nineties, <laughs> which yeah. even though he made his hundred, which I loved, it was it was it felt a bit like the everyman quality, didn't it? Exactly. It was it was what one of us would do if we were in that situation, yeah. which is why he's so likable, I think. And the Australian balcony as well. I mean, I know players always want you know, but they really, really wanted that. Clark was eating his hoodie basically in the night. It was yeah, he's just a very nice human being. Well, I was going to we'll talk to Jeff about this as well, but the Australian balcony, the point I was going to raise next, like with Agar as well, the the, the picture of Steve Smith almost hanging over <laughs> the balcony when he was uh, he realised he'd been caught and he, he was out for ninety eight. But they were, if you're an Australian cricket fan, worried about spirit and togetherness, they were great pictures, weren't they? Because it showed how together they were. I mean, Clark desperately wanted his man to do it desperately you could see yeah yeah and he spoke really passionately about that after the match i mean paul clark was broken in his post-match press conference he had his head in his hands he just it was horrible but um he got passionate talking about rogers and how really pleased he was and and i think that's really i think that's genuine yeah, I mean, we'll talk more about Australia with Jeff uh, in a while. Um, talking of Clark, though, brings us to the Wonder Ball, the second that Michael Clark has got in the series. Uh, some suggested he didn't move his feet as quickly as he might have done. I think if he'd done that, he might have nicked it um, rather than been clean bowled. But it was a, a, a wonderful ball and a wonderful spell of bowling from, you know, someone that some people, perhaps sitting in this <laughs> studio, don't want in the side and don't particularly like. Um, but it was just a tremendous bit of match-winning bowling, and it, and it proves why, he's, why he is in the side and his value, Stuart Broad. Yeah, he kind of tends to do it once a series, doesn't he? Or maybe once a year. He, when he when he's on that kind of role, I think only Dale Stane compares in terms of sheer force. It reminded me of watching someone like Show of Actor, just in terms of the intensity and the mood, and also actually the way he gets the crowd with him. No, I mean Anderson is clearly a better bowler than Broad, but no other England bowler can take a crowd with him like Broad can. And it also brings to mind what Flintoff used to do. The difference is Broad can devastate a team. Flintoff generally didn't. He didn't get fifers. Um, yeah, he's just, he's unstoppable when he's like that. I think it was. Um, he's often accused of not being very smart, Stuart Broad. But actually, I think he pretty. I think he was in this Test match. He mixed up. He battered some some of them with the short ball um, and, and really hit hard. Having seen what Ryan Harris had done with the short ball, I mean, Michael Clark is not playing the short ball well no. at all. Because he can't move. I don't know whether that's yeah. his back or whether he just doesn't play the short ball well. But um, yeah, I mean, he, there are times when you watch Stuart Broad and think, you really are on the cusp of greatness. Why can't you just keep doing this? But he doesn't, and it's incredibly <laughs> frustrating. Of course, the anti-Broad faction, uh, which I feel duty-bound to express, would say two LBWs nicking the outside a leg, lucky to be given those, couple of tail ends someone hooked the ball onto their stumps the only decent body bowlers were onto Clark but, oh uh, we can't go down that road can we we'd have no, to look at absolutely it. <laughs> not. but talking of the England uh, bowling attack um, what's happened to Jimmy Anderson uh, Rob I, I've heard the line suggested that he was so good in the mm. first test match that he somehow burnt himself yeah, but, I, but at the same time in the first test match we were hearing about his fitness about his drills about yeah it can't be the I case th- can it I think it's mentally I think what he had to go through on that final morning which was one of the great England bowling performances certainly of my lifetime 
I think it takes a huge amount out of you. If you look at people like if you look at people like Atherton after his one eight five, Nasser after his two oh seven, even Gooch after his one five four, I think when you do something that epic, I I just think it, it yeah. It's not just it's not just what you leave on that pitch at the time, it's what it takes out of you as well afterwards, kinda of trying to come to terms with it. And he just looks like a man who's mentally tired. Is there a case for leaving him out then? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I you, would. So you really think at the oval you you play yeah, Tremlett maybe? Uh, yeah, Tremlett uh, whoever. Clearly not gonna play onions. Well, they're I never gonna play him, are they? But I, I would have left Anderson out of Durham and played onions at Durham because I don't think he's been right since that thirteen over spell at Trent Bridge. Mm. He bowled well at Lords without luck, but Old Trafford there was a point where he was folded up on the pitch with two physios trying to kind of unfold him. It's, it's weird how um, at Treadbridge we were a one-man attack, Jimmy Anderson. At Durham we were a three-man attack, everyone but Jimmy Anderson. I, I'd certainly leave him. And I agree, I wouldn't have had a problem with him being left out of um, Durham. No, and, and we have to be careful with Anderson because we want him, we, you know, if we manage him carefully, we've got, he's got a good few years in him, but you I'd have leave, to manage him carefully. I'd leave him out of the one-day series as well. Yeah. Give him a complete break. I mean, it's not long till Brisbane. It sounds a ridiculous thing to say in the middle of an Ashes series. So I would, yeah, give him six weeks off. It's interesting, we have a mug of a presenter who's a casual cricket fan and two experts in the studio. <laughs> two would have left Anderson out and picked onions. I would have left Broad out and picked onions. So there you go, that's you're why just, you're, you're, that's you're, why you're sitting... I wouldn't now, I wouldn't now, but that's why you're sitting in those chairs and I'm sitting in this one. Um, I guess they were proven right about onions, weren't they? I mean, we, we discussed uh, in the previous podcast about how onions might play and how if he didn't play there, he'd never play again and so on. But did they do the right thing? I mean, they won the Test match, so I guess they did. Yeah, and I think if they'd have picked onions over Anderson, they'd have still won the Test match. Yeah. So I, I mean, it, it's a. I think I don't think onions will ever play for England again. Quite honestly, no, I think that's that. No, I agree. He's thirty-one now, isn't yeah, he? I think that's that, and it's I, a real shame for him. And what might have been if he hadn't have had that injury and this and the other? But I think he's done. Well, so that's uh, the career of Graham Onions written off uh, by our panel. We're <laughs> going to take a quick break now because our Australian guest has finally decided to show his face. If you're looking to get in shape, build your fitness and improve your well-being, then all you need is a decent pair of running shoes, a bit of determination and the brand new Guardian Guide to Running podcasts. Our eight-week program will transform you from complete running novice to someone who's able to run for 30 minutes non-stop. And if you're a more experienced runner and want to take things to the next level, then we've also got four special runs for you in our advanced running guides. The Guardian Guide to Running podcasts. Available now on iTunes and theguardian.com. So Jeff Lemon joins us from uh, occasional writer for The Guardian and from the, uh, the Raw as well uh, in Australia. Um, how are you feeling uh, right now as a phlegmatic Australian? Look, I, I wouldn't say I'm feeling joyous. Um, <laughs> it's, been, it's been a couple of days of reflection and digestion and uh, the digesting has not produced anything good at the other end. That's all <laughs> I can say. Is, thanks for the detail. Is, the, is there an argument that um, Australia don't deserve to be 3-0 down? They deserve to be behind in the series, but given the, the close nature or closest nature of two of the test matches and the rain in the other one, that it's maybe a little bit harsh on them? I would have made that argument after Old Trafford, and I would not be making that argument after the debacle at Durham. I think that was just a surrender of the most abject sort. Uh, it was really depressing to watch. You know, you don't mind losing a test as long as you feel like your team's put in a decent effort. So at Trent Bridge, we felt quite good about that loss. It was a good game. You know, England were stronger right at the end when they needed to be. But the way it happened up there, I, I don't really feel like... England necessarily won that test match entirely. They partly just had it given to them by a ridiculous uh, approach to batting by the Australians in the, that last session, you know, to lose nine wickets in a session, however much it's been extended, was absurd. Is one of the hardest things to take 
Australia being bad at all the things they're meant to be good at? <laughs> well, like cricket. Yeah, or like, <laughs> like stickability, like, uh, you know, the Steve War spirit, if you like, the Alan Border spirit, the thou shalt not pass spirit. I mean, it, you, England were the ones historically who are meant to have batting collapses like that, not Australia. Uh, win or lose the test match, but Australia tend not to lose test matches that way. Yeah, I think that is the case. And, and there seems to be, whether it's a fair perception or not, there's a, a feeling of frailty about players like Watson and Smith when they get into positions where there's some pressure on them, they're not necessarily able to respond. Um, so I'd actually written a piece the day before that collapse about how disappointing it was that the Australians couldn't back up Chris Rogers in that first innings, you know, where he'd made 100, Watson had made 68, and then no one else made any runs at all, and, and that it's it's disappointing when someone makes that effort to, to not get the support from their teammates and not actually establish a lead and a dominant position in the match. So having just written and published that column then they just gave an even better example of not supporting well ryan harris in this case who just pulled out a herculean effort i thought in that second innings bowling to to keep the target something achievable and then uh, uh, rogers again and, and warner had put them in a spectacular position to to seal that win so you've got a couple of players performing and then you've got the rest of the side just not supporting them at all and that's the most disappointing part and what of uh, Darren Lehman and the um, the news conference that he gave? Is this a man um, who's renowned for liking a pint and liking a fag and being everyone's mate and so on and so forth, finally saying, listen, this is serious. I'm not a big cuddly bear. We are going to put on a proper show in the winter. And if you guys aren't up to it, you're out. Is, is, was it, do you think that was, it was a statement of intent in that way? Well, I can say that, you know, sitting four or five metres away from Darren Lehman, I'm quite scared of him. <laughs> sort of, <laughs> you do worry about what questions to ask him because he looks like he could pop your head like a grape if it, if it uh, crossed his mind to do so. So look, I'd, I'd be a little bit worried as an Australian player. I, I think there will be quite a few players from this squad who will not see the baggy green again um, whether that's fair or not is another debate well we'll talk some more about that nice to hear that Darren Lehman invoking the spirit of Stu Francis which is a, a, a joke for our, um, our older listeners and possibly two of our panellists as well um, Lizzie you were in the news conference weren't you with Lehman was it as scary as all that yeah it was, uh, was it? Um, I mean flower terrifies me I, I in a sort of slightly psychological way in that he will calmly kill you Whereas as Lehman... Well, Flower's a Bond villain and, and Lehman, Lehman's a Bond henchman, Lehman would isn't just it? Yeah. Hit you. Flower's um, a guy who already has a great plan to dispose of the body. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Whereas as Lehman would just hit you uh, and knock you out. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's all very well saying you've got to sort yourselves out, but who's in the wings? I mean, you know, I, it, it's a bigger problem than just these guys not performing. There's a whole... I mean, this is a long conversation, but there's a lot wrong with Australian cricket. There's a lot wrong with the structures. There's a lot wrong with the system. And there's a lot wrong with shield cricket. And as I was just saying about Rogers, first-class cricket's really important to teach guys how to play cricket. I think if we look back at what's got England into a good position, it was a long process. It was getting two-division cricket. It was getting central contracts. But it took a long time for those things to kick in and for those things to have fruition in the national t- side. And I think Australia are in for a bit of a long-haul transition period here. Well, also, it was Jeff Miller and Graveney picking and sticking, as Alan Border says, and that was the approach that worked in the 80s. I think they have to do that again. You can't just say these are the people. You obviously have to dump some occasionally, but I think they need to identify. I, I like Smith, personally. I know a lot of people don't. I'd stick with him. And you just kind of slowly build a t- piece of team together. Like, like, you know, I don't know, Rogers is fine now for a couple of years. You've got 
I don't know about Haddam, but you know, there, there's enough there to work with. I think I, I'd stick Lions. with Stark. I'd, I think um, Jackson Bird. Yeah. I think Jackson Bird isn't quick enough unless he gets a yard a yard of pace. He that that pace is quite hittable unless you're Shane Watson. Um, and uh, I, I think Mitchell Stark. I think England would prefer to face Bird than they would Mitchell Stark. I think Jackson Bird just didn't bowl particularly well in that test match. Right. You know, I think when he's on, he's a much better bowler than he showed us there. I mean, that ball to get Cook was a bit more of a, an example of what he can do when he's bowling well. And the way he's dominated shield cricket for two seasons consecutively, you know, averaging under 20 with the ball, I think, and, and taking piles and piles of wickets, he's just been outstanding. So I, I feel like they should have had him in the team earlier, really, um, and that if he'd, he'd had a bit more time... He, he did have an injury before the Indian series, which kept him out when he probably would have played there. So that disrupted it slightly. But I feel like uh, for the future, he's definitely someone who needs to be in the side. The other thing that was noticeable was that with um, Bird in the team, it's quite a tale, isn't it? And actually, that was um, that was really noticeable. Obviously, uh, you know, having Stark, he's a he's a genuine batsman, Stark, isn't he? I mean, he plays some beautiful, proper cricket shots. Oh yeah, Jason Bird's a genuine number eleven, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, we were commentating his uh, his innings when he made ninety nine in India, and you know, of course, edged one behind uh, with one run to get. But <laughs> but it was it was a terrific innings. It wasn't a slog fest. He you know he he plays aggressively, but he was playing proper shots then, and you saw in his sixty uh, odd. Mm-hmm. At Old Trafford. Who, who would you have at number three? I think number three is really a batsman. Bad. Look, yeah. I think I think Phil Hughes has been really hard done by, um, and I think he's basically been destroyed by the selectors. He's been dropped. For, he's been dropped four or five times in twenty tests. You know, he's he makes back to back hundreds in South Africa, plays a, a couple of innings in England, and gets dropped last time around. Um, he was magnificent at, at Trent Bridge. I thought he was one of the main reasons that Australia nearly escaped with a win there. And then he gets one test at Lords and gets dropped again, so they can bring back another aggressive left hander <laughs> at number six. So. There, there doesn't seem to be any logic behind the uh, the way Hughes has been treated, um, but I think I think Kawaja is the long term number three. He's just not. Uh, he hasn't you know come out and, and given a great display in this series. But the same sort of thing. He's been waiting around for a year and a half as the reserve batsman and not getting into the side because in India they kept playing rubbish all rounders and and batting uh, the keeper at six, which we don't have the batting to be able to afford to do that. So Kawaja couldn't get a game, couldn't get a game. He's finally got in and now he's worried that he's going to get the arse as soon as he has a, a couple of shoddy innings back-to-back. It's so like England in the 90s. It really yeah. is. You get it. Everything we knew was ridiculous. And it's just like when you're involved in that world, you can't see it. Uh, England in the 80s to an extent as yeah, well. Yeah, you know, uh, you can, the, the amount of one-test wonders that, uh, that we had, particularly in the batting uh, over the years, the Paul Terrys, the John Stevensons and mm-hmm. several others that I could name, Australia do seem to be going that way. Um, the other thing I like about Jackson Bird, by the way, is that he, he, he looks a bit like a bird with the, with the beaky <laughs> nose and the sort of high, holds his hands quite high, um, in the same way that sort of in the past Alan Lamb looked nothing like, um, <laughs> like a lamb at all. But just, just something that, that occurred to me about uh, Jackson Bird, how many of this team that we've come to know and obviously love as, as English uh, supporters, uh, are we going to see in the winter, do you think? And also, Jeff, what do you think of this uh, slightly dangerous, I think, prevailing wisdom that Australia are going to be a whole lot better in Australia and the fact they've stayed close to England in England means that it could be a real contest in Australia? They're uh, not. They're, they're not, they're no. Not. And, and how many of this group of players are we going to see, do you think? Look, Who's definite? Who's in? Well, Clark to, to start with and then Bill Yeah, I mean, there. the absolute inked indefinites, you, you'd have to say, are only Rogers and, and Clark. And Is it Batman. really? You, you really think it's... Well, Harris, if he's fit, surely. Well, yes, yeah. Harris, of course. Um, I was thinking more of the batting order there. 
to be honest, I don't think there'll be huge changes. I think Lehman's doing the tough talk at this point. I think some of the fringe players, you know, like Ed Cowan, I doubt we'll see him play another test. Um, I've, I've got a sentimental uh, favouritism for Ed Cowan, but, so I, I keep wanting him to get there and wanting him to break through. But uh, he, we, we want him in the side as well. I'm so, sure yeah, you've, you've got a lot in common, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, he, he never quite nailed down that spot. He's a, he's a very good player when he's on, but he's, he's a better player than he showed in his um, test so far. So I think, to be honest, you know, you have to try to get Phil Hughes back in the team. You have to stick with Kawaja. Um, Smith has done much better than anyone thought he was going to. You know, the way when he got picked in India, we just thought it was a joke. And he came out in his first match there and made 92 and was completely assured against a, a really dangerous spin attack who was making the rest of the batting order look like chumps. And Smith was the one who had the footwork, had the patience, had the calmness, handled them, you know, played the odd aggressive shot when he needed to, kept them guessing. And you know he made runs over there. He made runs here. Made 100 in the tour match. Um, he's made a couple of half centuries on on this tour. So you know he needs to make his innings bigger. He needs to be able to to go on with it and and put in more than a sort of useful all rounders 50 or 60. But I think if he's if he's backed as a batsman and he's being batted at five and treated as a genuine bat who occasionally throws the ball down, um, he. He could deliver. I think you need to give him the chance. I'm interested how you're going to get uh, Hughes back in the side if you're picking Kawaja and Smith. Mm. Um, Warner presumably would would have to play. Would he? Would he be batting at six? Yes. Well, look, does this I, mean that Shane Watson's uh, under threat? Or? I, I can't see how Shane Watson's good enough to bat in the top six. He's just not. He's he's played what 80 plus Test innings. He's made 200s, um, and he averages under 35. Now, Darren Lehman says that's good enough for him and that he's happy to have that because he wants Watson's bowling in the in the side. You know, Watson's bowling is useful as a backup, but he's not a not like he takes bags of wickets. Uh, he gets the odd useful one here or there. But if you're saying that it's good enough to have someone in the top six who averages, you know, the same as James Pattinson, then I think you've got a couple of problems. I, w- I want to ask you about Silicon Gate in a minute, um, and because that that's been forgotten in, uh, in in what was a wonderful Test match. But where do we go with this fifth Test, Lizzie? I mean, the football season starts on Saturday, as we all know, and are we just going to fade away? Is it going to be an irrelevance at the Oval? Do you think not for us, obviously, because we'll all be watching? But in terms of the wider the wider consciousness, uh, sadly, I think so. Um, uh, I mean, there was some. I, I don't. I think the only change England might make is is Chamberlain in for Anderson. I don't think they'll. I don't think they'll mess with the with the um, batting. Although there is an opportunity here for them to have a look at who they might also take to Australia. I mean, do they take another opener with them to Australia? It's an interesting question. They haven't before, but then I don't know. Rob. It all depends if they think Trot can open. If they don't, I think they have to because Root is becoming an issue, let's be honest. He, he's got one score in the series and he was he should have been out five when he got that or four or whatever. Ace it was when he nicked okay. through, the, yeah, yeah, nicked yeah, through yeah. between keeper and slip, yeah. I, I think, I mean, I was a big Root fan and I thought he should open. I, I think we got it wrong, frankly. I think I, I think got it wrong. I think he needs to go back. To, well, it all depends what you do with Bearstow. If you drop Bearstow, then I would definitely put Root down to six. And bring Compton back? No. No. They won't bring Compton <laughs> back. Uh, Compton's okay, but this is the other problem. Who do you bring in? I don't Chopra. like... Yeah, but is he good enough, really, to well, give him his debut So, are we, are we presuming they're going to take uh, seven batters to yeah. to Australia, for yeah. example? The, so, you, so certainly, uh, five, you think that t- you, I was going to say five of the top six will be okay? If the best is the one under question, he is, but I think he'll go. Yeah, he, I think he'll I go. think he's done enough. He's he, you know, he's on a, he's getting an annoying habit of getting out in the twenties and thirties, but he's done enough. It's whether they take Taylor or whether they take an opener. 
Yeah, exactly. And what would you do? Would you go chop? What do you think? Take eight batsmen. Yeah. I just made my my touring part. But the interest, I mean, England don't have a problem there because there is a concurrent England Lions development tour going on. So they, you know, they can drag in if they need to. I think I'd take Compton, you know. I'm not sure. They won't go back because it's just an admission of. Not necessarily. If you're taking them as a reserve batsman. I don't think that. But the options are Chopper and Trot. The problem with Trot is. Why Mess? I know he's not having a great series, but number three is probably the hardest position to find a good player, even harder than opener. So why, yeah, as why Jeff knows all too well. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, you don't, you don't have a three. Do, you, do, you don't do, really have a team. Uh, yeah. As a lover of, of sort of cricket in the the eighties, Rob, and the English cricket, do you hanker after the left field pick? For well, a tour, I mean, I'm not I saying it's the right thing to do, but I, I really miss no, I that. Do. I miss the sort of the big performance <laughs> in the Nat West final, as it was, exactly. and suddenly someone, Phil DeFreitas, you know, well, a, a, you know an I'd older love, Phil DeFreitas, I'd love a Ricky five. Clark pick or something. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, I really do. England announcement, and it was completely wrong, but it was oh, brilliant. Wasn't it? it was so thrilling to turn on the radio and you kind of go through. No, England announcement becomes so boring now. I didn't bother. <laughs> But, which is obviously a good thing, but no, I remember like, India 92-3 and listening, going through, where the hell's Gower? And then, oh, where the hell's Russell? Suddenly Paul Jarvis is in, Paul Taylor. It was great fun. Because also, you could speculate, like, obviously your own team, you, you know, Martin McCaig or Alan Nicholson or whoever, you could you always had a hope for them. It was great fun. Yeah, the, and you're right about the alphabet thing. The, yeah. I, re- I remember that vividly when, when Gooch effectively left Gower out. And, and when they left Fraser out in Australia yes, as well, they went yes. from someone to Goff, I forget who. Where the hell is Gus? Yeah, yeah. Um, but they, it was fun. But it, unfortunately, it's something that you're going to be hearing a lot of. I would have thought in Australia, but we're, we're I can't we're say far it's been settled. a lot of fun. We are, we've been doing it a lot. We, look, we watched Glenn Maxwell open the batting and bowling <laughs> in a test. The in million India. pound cricketer. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, it, Jesus, I didn't enjoy it. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to say that right now. <laughs> Glenn Maxwell opening the batting in a all, test. All match. I'm saying yeah. is, instead of picking a squad of 16, pick a squad of 17. Include a left field I pick. Take, That's all I'm I saying. Take, <laughs> I'd take 18. You take 18. I take 18. I'd, I would you agree with that. They, Australia have got 18 with you, haven't you? I think it's 17, but well, we had 17 for the home series well, no, you last had 18 <laughs> because then What's-His-Face went home, didn't he? Um, What's-His-Face, that technical. Mm. The absurd thing about that alpha thing is that's usually how the players found out as well. Yes. A lot of the time. On CFAX. If you read old cricket biographies, as I tend to do, and autobiographies, mm-hmm. sadly, uh, there are many stories, aren't there? Of, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I didn't even get a phone call. I was listening to the radio and, and so on and so forth and found out that my England career was over you know, via a May 2 in, before mobile phones you know, rang me at home and, and told <laughs> me that he'd heard it on the wireless. It's, uh, it's incredible, really. But it'll be fun finding out, but not as much fun um, as it used to be. What are the issues? I suppose the reserve keeper... Well, the keeper, you could argue, is an issue. No, it isn't. That is an on. issue because... No, it's, not. it's the best in the world, apart from De Villiers. Yeah, no, but I'm here to reserve it. Oh, I see. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it, it, if Pryor has not, another bad series, it becomes not, an issue, doesn't it? it? Do the reserve keeper isn't best, Al. Bless him. He's not... <laughs> no, he's not. He's, he's no Chris Reid. Yeah. Butler? Well, I, I, Butler won't go. Butler's, Butler's fantastic in a one-day team, but no. They no, they won't, they won't go to pick him as a keeper, no. There's Ben folks who they've been... Uh, easing into the setup, haven't they? They've been using him as 12th man quite a lot and they clearly rate him. Poor, poor old Onions will probably miss the tour, won't he? Because he won't go the They'll have the current three plus Finn plus Tremlett. Yeah, I'm just trying to think which name it's going to go from to, but I, that <laughs> will be the, the, the disappointment of the tour. Um, I completely agree with you. Um, we should touch on Silicon Gate, uh, Jeff. Um, mm-hmm. Has it died down back home, as far as you know? Is, I mean, what, what, was it just nonsense? Was it, trying to, was it a pathetic attempt to try and get at England? What was it? I am of the opinion it was nonsense, because yep. it was one of those things where uh, one news outlet reports that people may have been doing a thing, <laughs> and then other news outlets say, this news outlet has reported that people may have been doing a thing. Uh, now, by the what interests me is that's a, it's such a silly season story yeah. but you have elections 
doesn't tend to be silly season, does it, or does it in Australia? Well, we kind of want something to distract ourselves from the elections because they're <laughs> so awful at the moment. It's just, if you could round up the least talented people in the country and just give them airtime for four weeks, that's what we're doing at the moment. You know, it's, it's, it's like beating yourself with reeds. It's Although the election has thrown up a story that, I don't know, what does it do, uh, sticks a suppository to the ashes or something like that? It's thrown up this, this, this wonderful uh, uh, verbal slip story, hasn't yeah, it, so which is as, as bad an Australian batting collapse, really, in terms the, of election the, chances. The opposition leader referring to the Prime Minister as the suppository of all wisdom, <laughs> um, which sounds quite uncomfortable, but I, I suppose if you get all the knowledge in the world, then you might decide to wear it. What did you make of it, Lizzie and Rob? I mean, we won't spend ages on it, but it was an, it was an oddity, wasn't it? This, this story suddenly appearing in between test matches? Yeah, it, it did seem a bit strange. I mean, the, I, the whole thing is a bit ridiculous, isn't it? The hotspot man uh, creator saying that asking players not to have anything on their bats now, the whole thing's a bit daft. I quite enjoy, more than, more than this, I quite enjoy Shane Warne's attempts to undermine yeah. England via Twitter. Coming increasingly comments. ridiculous. Yeah. Um, his, uh, his piece today on uh, England won despite, of, despite Cook. That's just pushing it, isn't it? Well, he's got to find something to say. Yeah. Or whoever writes no, his columns has to find write something a column to say. Saying, well done, England, aren't you brilliant? I, I, don't, think, I don't think Shane writes many columns, let's be <laughs> honest. Yeah, the, you, you suspect that uh, maybe someone else involved do you. Look, I, I'm just as somebody who works in the uh, sports writing industry, I just have a feeling that may be the case. So, moving forward then to the fifth test, just finally, uh, what can we do? learn from it i mean what can england do to take something forward at all what can australia learn from it? you know rather than just accept it's a dead rubber i know england will want to win four and i know australia will want to get on the board but are the team changes lizzie to you, you mentioned well, anderson i mean uh, they won't. would you would you make i don't care what what they will or won't do i care what you think uh, I mean, would you make sort of two changes I bring would, a would, bring I a batter in and bring and rest use anderson it, use this as an opportunity to have a look who else they might take to Australia. So you might, for example, look at Chopra if it was you. I might look at Chopra. I'd probably, I'd possibly give James Taylor a go. I mean, we know Johnny Bairstow needs some runs. I feel a bit sorry for Johnny Bairstow. He hardly had any first-class cricket before he was chucked into this. But but we know what Johnny Bairstow is, and I think that, that we don't benefit at all from him playing this this if, test well it, interesting with Bairstow playing the previous test but interestingly <laughs> with Bairstow Rob if Bairstow in a way Bairstow's better not being picked because if yeah, he fails possibly. again then that's when the tour comes into doubt no that's true personally if I was making a change and I wouldn't but if I was I would leave Trot out I think that's you want to see as many young not not to drop him don't get me wrong I'm all for squad rotation and all that nonsense um, but I wouldn't the only change I would make is yeah Tramlin Anderson. I just think if you're going to try Taylor or Chopra, we need to see as much as we can of Root and Bairstow. I agree with you that from Bairstow's point of view, actually, a double failure does some huge harm. But obviously England need... The, the more you see of them, the, the more chance there you have to make another, a judge. I mean, there is another interesting angle for the winter, isn't there? Who the second spinner is? Because it's not going to be Monty after recent <laughs> incidents. Yes, although he seemed to have found some accuracy, at least, which was, <laughs> which was a good thing to uh, find out. Yeah, actually, we, again, because he's not been involved in the Ashes, but he's obviously a character. That, is, that, is that one of the oddest sporting stories you can uh, remember? It's not if you hear right. the, the trend that's been building. OK, but, but, but for, 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 for yeah, people but like for me, that is one of the oddest sporting oh, stories I can remember. And, and, and on the face of it, hilarious. Uh, although absolutely it's n- hilarious. But it's... It's sort of if you dig a bit deeper, it's actually not funny. It's quite sinister. He's hustling people in a nightclub and then winning on a bouncer. I mean, that's not funny. Um, and as in, and indicates a, a bigger problem. There has been a bigger problem. He's been left out of the side at Sussex, the first team at Sussex because of attitude and behaviour problems. That that that's career ending. And uh, Northamptonshire have said that they may pick him up, and that might be good for him. He'll be nearer home. But it's yeah, he's not. Andy Flower doesn't like that sort of thing, does he? He may be going to Australia in the jungle. 
That, that could potentially happen, couldn't it? He could be going on a tour of a, of a different source, and I'm a celebrity. I could, oh. I could very much uh, see that. Um, you don't want to, d- just, just to make this clear, I mean, as someone mm-hmm. from Australia who knows, you wouldn't want to wee on a bouncer in Australia, would you? Um, not if you wanted to keep your teeth. They, they generally tend to be fairly large, but, you know, the, uh, the wild slash outside off stump can mm. cause a few cricketers a problem. And- they, 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 like many people, object to being weed on. But uh, we move on from, uh, <laughs> from that. Um, who would you take as a second spinner, or who do you think they'll be looking at? Uh, well, assuming he can't go, I mean, I would still... I don't know the full circumstances, so I'd be inclined to take him without knowing those. I guess... I guess Treadwell. Just, yeah, he's, he's good, but they, they, they really like Treadwell, don't they? They do, but I, Kerrigan's in the line setup. They are... But and he's had a really good season, Kerrigan. You have to consider, though, Swan has a funny turn on the morning of the match. Is Kerrigan really ready to play? And actually says, say, say it's Adelaide or it's Sydney, where the pressure's on for him to win that match... I'm not sure he is. As good as he is, I wouldn't want to give anyone no, the debut. No, but at some point aware. you have to shut these people in, don't I, you? I agree, but I just I'm a big fan of picking where you put them in. Unless they're, unless they're exceptional, like Root, they clearly saw something and thought he's fine. Generally, like I always remember Ravi Papar, and I gave him a terrible debut series yeah, in yeah. Sri Lanka, which is a really hard place, mm-hmm. and he just got lost. He made three ducks, I think, and he's never quite recovered. Had they given him a home series against Sri Lanka or yeah, you know yeah. New Zealand? His entire life might be different. And surely the point as well with the current England setup is that you say they've got to chuck them in somewhere, is that they don't well, chuck no, them in I mean, somewhere. They, they will blood them if they can in Kerrigan's Bangladesh or, or what have you. With Kerr- Kerrigan's been playing Lions, mm. uh, but at some point you have to move from Lions to the first but team. The, but maybe you don't chuck them into an Ashes test at Sydney as no, a second no, spinner no, is my point. No, 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 except if you think that your opposition are very good. And the, just the, the important thing at the Oval, though, is to get some attention. You know, we, we need to do something with the match, maybe arrange for England to be bowled out for 40 or, <laughs> or, or someone take 20 wickets in the match, you know, if we could just just a few words in a few ears and and put on a bit of a spectacle so that we get some attention, so everyone will be watching the football instead. What about the entire Australian batting lineup, sort of switch hitting, batting the wrong way around? Do you think it would make any difference? I think that would be wonderful to see. I mean, Warner can bat with both hands, so you know at least we'd have something at the top of the order, and then the rest would be rubbish. It would be just like usual. Yeah, it could be fun. England's, all England's bowlers blindfolded. See if they can still uh, win the <laughs> test match that way. There are many, many ways to, uh, to even things up, or indeed uh, play, play sort of French cricket, as my producers uh, just suggested. Uh, all of these things could be thrown into the mix. And just finally, I will give you the final word, because we've, we've given you a bit of abuse throughout the show here, Jeff, and indeed Jared, and indeed many others uh, throughout the course of the series. But what can Australia take from the Oval moving forward? Will it be the same team? Um, or maybe, you know, maybe one change here or there, but maybe bird out and start back in. But what can they? Is it how important is it that they do take something onto Brisbane? To be honest, my feeling after watching the end of the match at Durham is that they won't take anything out of it. I think they're, I think they're broken. I think that was that was the kind of uh, test loss. People are trying to see a positive and say it could galvanise them to you know be stronger in future and do the Allen Border kind of routine. I think it's more likely just yeah. to. To, to have scarred quite a few players, and when they get in similar positions in future, they'll probably fall over again. Maybe this is unduly pessimistic, but I just have that, that bad feeling that it's the sort of loss that will stay with you, so that even, even when they're at the point of winning matches, they'll find ways to not do it, or they won't really believe that they can do it, um, given there's that, that kind of vulnerability, the way South Africa uh, played in, in their limited overs knockout tournaments for so long, you know, where they'd keep finding a way to lose it from a, an unlosable position. Um, I don't know that they will take much. I think they're going to go to the Oval and be spanked. OK. Well, thank you guys for your contributions. We will be back uh, after the fifth test. But uh, for now, uh, having ingested a little bit too much coffee this morning, uh, three of us are going to go and wee on a bounce. So Lizzie's just going to go and uh, shout on him because she's got a bit more uh, decorum than that. But from, uh, from Jeff, from Rob and from Lizzie and me, uh, Dave Farah, bye-bye. <laughs>